open your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to begin week two of our series, First Comes Love, Then Comes Blank. And we're going to fill in that blank this morning with another word that I believe will help us in not only our marriages, but also in our relationships as a whole as followers of Christ living in the world today. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to get there in just a moment. If you are using a copy of the scripture that's in the seats there, the Bibles there that are provided, uh, you can go ahead and just turn to page 838. So 838, if you're using one of the Bibles provided, 1 Timothy, and uh, we'll start in chapter 6 in just a moment. So I I mentioned this last week, but just as a reminder, uh, when I say first comes love, then comes blank, and we talk about this idea of marriage, uh, many of us could fill in that blank with various words and descriptions. Uh, again, depending on your experience and what you've kind of gone through in your relationships or through marriage, it's just human nature. We, if we go through negative experiences, we'll tend to taint that relationship with that negative viewpoint. And again, some of you might fill that word in very, very differently. But our goal in this series is to take some biblical principles. We're not going to be exhaustive. We're not going to look at every possible way to fill in that statement. But we want to take some biblical principles and each week kind of draw from those biblical principles how we can apply those things to our marriages and our relationships that we might foster a loving and Christ-centered relationship. And so that kind of brings us back to our main point of this marriage series. The one thing that we want to really make sure we grab a hold of as we, every week as we go through the series is this, that the goal of a Christian marriage is not happiness, but Christ-likeness. That the goal of the Christian marriage is not happiness. Maybe you could add in not merely happiness, not merely temporary happiness. When things go right, when circumstances fall into place, when all my expectations are met, which by the way, no human being on planet earth, including yourself, can meet all your expectations. Like let that just resonate there for a moment. We put so many expectations on others that we ourselves don't even fulfill. We have, we hold others to such a standard that, that, that when we voice those things to our spouse, there's zero chance they're going to fulfill it perfectly. And when they do fall, not only do they have the weight of their own feeling like they failed, they now have the weight of your guilt because you failed them. As though we didn't all come humbly and, 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 and begging for grace at the foot of the cross. As though somehow we're the standard and everyone else has to measure up to us. You see, so often we forget that it's not just striving to make the other person happy. It's not just striving to have a a peaceful home where all the boxes are checked and everything's done and everything's perfect and everything's perfect and the family's perfect and everyone else thinks we're perfect and we're just dying on the inside. You see, it's it's not just happiness. It's Christ-likeness. We're striving for something so much greater in our relationships and especially in our marriages that we can extend grace to each other when we fall short. Amen? That, that you can give grace to your spouse or grace to another person. And this is where people say, well, yeah, but don't you, you know, now brother. And you always know someone's got something they're going to try to sell you when they say brother, right? Like it's like, <laughs> come on, what you got? Come on, let's hear it. They'll say, well, brother, you don't know what so-and-so did to me. Of course I don't. Of course I don't. I have no idea what they did. And th- 
this is also not saying that somebody can just treat you poorly and that's fine. That we don't have a conversation or there's not consequences. Of course, I understand all that. But we live as though somehow we're this standard and everyone has to meet up to us. And when they fall short, they're going to know it. I'm reminded of Acts 15 and, and, and the principle of what was being talked about in one of the first church councils. One of the first times that the body of Christ got together in Jerusalem and said, hey, we got some issues we need to work out here. And now I'm not going to dive into the exact application, but the principle of what was said was they were basically saying that all these new non-Jewish believers, that that non-Jewish Christians that are coming into the faith have to live under the law. And and now we have to abide by the law and all these things. And and I'm blown away in Acts 15 when Peter stood and said, do you know what we're doing? And I'm paraphrasing. We're taking the law that we couldn't fulfill, that our fathers couldn't fulfill, and we're putting it on others and saying, now you need to live up to this. Do you see the hypocrisy there? And so we do that in our relationships all the time. Now, does this mean we don't have any biblical desires in our marriage for our spouse to act in a certain way? Of course we do. Let me say it this way. I can expect from God's word that my wife, as a follower of Christ, will act and respond in certain ways. Because the Bible lays that forth. (laughs) People say that, like, oh, you're so... No, I'm being dead... She is a blessing. Trust me, in the relationship, much grace this way. She's much patient this way, okay? She's she's a gracious and patient and loving and kind. But when we fall short of that biblical expectation, the response to that is the key. It doesn't mean we don't go into our marriages saying, hey, I'm going to hold myself to a biblical desire to say, I want to live like this. And then I look at my spouse and say, hey, the word of God says this. Let's strive to be this. The difference is I don't treat that person differently when they fall short. I don't condemn that person. But we have this mindset that it's either like unreal, unrealistic expectations we put on someone else or no expectations whatsoever. And I warn you, if you go the no expectations route saying that I have zero expectations of my spouse, you'll become a doormat. And that's not healthy either. That's not biblical. So we can say, hey, this is what the word says. Let's strive for this. But when they fall short of that, we respond with grace and compassion. And by the way, truth. This is again where we can walk that balance. What did Jesus say? I've come to give grace and truth. All grace with no truth is more of a watered down gospel, a feel good gospel that is not the gospel. And all truth with no grace is legalism. Neither are right or biblical. So in our marriages, we can extend both grace and truth and we can walk that out together. So Christ-likeness is the goal, not mere happiness based on circumstances. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, let's dive into verse 11 and look at our text for the morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, uh, a young pastor, and he's encouraging him. And this is what he says in verse 11. But thou, O man of God, and which is a a title given to, a position given to Timothy here. It's referenced to his position as a pastor there. But the principles here, I believe, apply to us because we see this also listed in the fruit of the Spirit, what's going to be talked about. So it says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. 
lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickens all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only, Christ, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light with no ma- which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to, him, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Now, this passage, we're going to dive into verses 11 and 12 primarily as our text, but we can't avoid looking at just the measure of exalting of Christ that takes place in this passage. That he is the one who's dwelling in the light which no man can approach. Think about that. This is talking about that glory of God, that, that presence of the throne, that no man can just walk into the presence of God without the person of Jesus Christ allowing them to usher in through his blood, death, burial, and resurrection. That if you and I were to walk naturally into the presence of God's throne, we would be taken in a second. We'd be overwhelmed by the glory of God. And Jesus dwells in that very glory. Why? Because he is God and is the son of God. And so here we see this beautiful passage talks about who Christ is. That only to Christ is to be honor and power everlasting. We're just exalting. We're following Christ and pursuing Christ. There's some things that need to be evident in your life. There's some things that need to be visible to many others. And he uses Christ as the example of his testimony before Pontius Pilate and many others when Jesus was being tried at his mock trial. Now go back up to verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. We're going to talk about that in just a second, what's being fled away from. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. That first phrase of verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your love to us. And Father, as we've already said, even just touching on the reality that there is no one perfect, there is none righteous, no, not one, that we have all fallen short of your perfection, of your glory. And we all equally and desperately need your grace. That we need you to Rescue us from our sin. That there is no hope of eternal life apart from you and what you did for us on the cross. That your death, burial, and resurrection guarantees and provides a way of salvation for any who would call upon the name of the Lord, confessing their sins, repenting, and turning to you. And that through your gracious initiative to love us first, you have drawn us into repentance and now we can freely love you. And these things we're going to talk about, Lord, I pray that we would not get it, get it twisted around where we think that we do these things to gain salvation. But Lord, help us to know that these things are an outpouring, an outflow of our salvation. That only in Christ can we walk in godliness. Only in Christ can we have the joy that is made available to us. Only in Christ can we love as we're called to love. And so, Lord, help us, Father, to walk in you, to abide in you, as John 15 says, that we would see a desire in us to walk in the light as you are in the light, and that in so doing, you will fill us with your spirit, 
and the fruit of the Spirit will be produced in our lives. So, Father, again, we thank you for this morning. Pray that you would lead God and direct in all things, that you would be glorified, because it is unto you that all glory and all honor and all praise is directed from your church. It's because, Lord, we gather as your church for your glory. And so, Lord, again, would you be exalted this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage that Paul writes to Timothy is an earnest encouragement for Timothy to, if we had to summarize it, live well. Uh, Timothy, live well as a follower of Christ. Let your faith be evident to those around you. Now, Timothy is unlike the folks mentioned in the previous verses, so you can jot it down if you're taking notes. Verses 3 through 10 of 1 Timothy 6, there's another category of individuals that are talked about. And that's when Paul says, flee those things, rather pursue this. Now, if you are taking notes and you want to take notes on the outline on the app, you can just go to our app, North Goodland BC, in your app store. You can find the notes there under media, messages, and then today's notes are listed there. But here we see Paul's comparing these two groups. So instead of Timothy acting one way, he's saying, Timothy, strive to live this way. Now, Timothy is called a man of God. And as such, Paul gives him a list reminiscent of the fruit of the Spirit, which we see in Galatians chapter 5. Now, instead of acting like a fool, this is in comparison to those in the previous verses, he should pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love. Now that word love is the same agape love that Christ demonstrated to us. And so that's a sacrificing love. We talked about that last week. Steadfastness, which we'll get into in future weeks. And then lastly, he talks about meekness or gentleness. That word meekness is the word for gentleness. Now, while marriage requires a healthy dose of all of these virtues, and if you've been married for any amount of time, you know that steadfastness, right, loves like, amen. I always say there's two things that that make a marriage healthy, and that is grace and forgiveness. Because if there's anything every marriage needs of two imperfect human beings come together, it's a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness. Amen. And and so some of you may be on the receiving end more of that than the other, and that's fine. I, I understand that. There's many things that make a marriage Christ-like, and many of these things, obviously being the fruit of the Spirit, would connect us back to that. But what sets this message, or this passage in our message, apart from the other verses about the fruit of the Spirit, it is what comes next after the word meekness or gentleness. So he says there, meekness or gentleness. What's the very next thing that Paul tells Timothy? What's the next word? Fight. Fight. Now that seems a little foreign. Hey, by the way, you need to be gentle. Now fight. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't think about gentleness when I think about fighting, right? I think very, like, violent and and aggressive, right? So how can Paul say, these things should be evident in your life, Timothy. Gentleness, meekness should be in your life. And now go fight the good fight of faith. How can Paul compare these two things? The truth is that we are called to fight for the faith, to endure for the faith, to pursue these things for the faith. As I saw someone post on Facebook here recently, uh, basically a comment about how difficult it can be to walk with Christ in the world today. And this person was making it very clear that it is costly to walk with Christ. And I appreciated this post because it basically expressed that, you know, we always hear about the blessings that come from walking with Christ, but you don't hear a lot of times people talk about that it's really hard to do that. 
Like we live in a fallen world. It is hard to walk with Christ today because there's many things that oppose that. There's people in your own household that might oppose your walk with Christ. That might say things or, or make fun of or attack your views or say things against you. There's people at work. There's people at different areas of your in world pressing in against us. We also have this flesh in us that's warring against us. So I want to acknowledge when Paul says this, hey, Timothy, let these things be evident in your life. Let these things be what you pursue. I think it's important he says the next word, fight. Because to see these things in our lives, I don't know how better to describe it than a fight. We have to fight for these things. I'm, I'm trying to finish up a book by a Puritan author, um, Thomas Watson. And, and the book is basically entitled, I, I'm going to get the title wrong, but it's something like Taking Heaven by Storm. And the whole premise of the book, it caught me off guard at first when I was reading it because it was so foreign to my way of thinking, is he talks in every chapter about the violence required to pursue heaven. I thought that's a very strange way to say that. That we must have violent attention given to these things that we pursue. But I, I, the more I read it and the more I thought through it, I thought that actually is probably a very good way to say that. Not violent in the sense of what we think of violence and hurting people, but this deep driven passion that I'm going to do everything it takes to pursue this thing. I think that's what Paul's alluding to here. He's saying, no, you need to, you need to fight for this thing. And the truth is, you and I will always fight for what's important. You and I will always fight for what's important. So I guess the question we have to ask is, what's of most importance to us? If we fight for whatever's important, and we fight for all kinds of things that are temporary things, by the way. We fight for our, our how do I want to say this? We should pursue a good testimony, but some of us fight to live up to the expectations of someone else, or we fight to get a level of acceptance or respect for someone else because we ultimately want to be the end goal. It's not just a mere, I want to have a good testimony. It's, I want people to walk in the work and notice me. I want them to think, man, that guy does a good job. That woman does a good job. Like, I want to be the one that the attention's on. And you fight for that. You do all kinds of things for that. You sacrifice all kinds of things for that. But the Bible makes it clear of greatest importance for us as a follower of Christ is that Christ will be magnified in us. That people will walk into your workplace and go, man, now that person works hard and I know it's because they have a love for Jesus. Not that they walk out there going, man, I want to be like him or her. It's like, man, their savior, their Jesus is amazing. That it's all about pointing people to Jesus. And that's what I believe Paul's alluding to here. So what does this idea of fighting have to do with our marriage? Now, don't take that too far. Some of you are like, preacher, go there. Because I, man, all the men in the room, you better be careful because your wife would take you in a second. Like, just like, let that go. Some dudes are like, I'd put her in her place. Yeah, you would. Not. I don't know why Sandra was born with the, like, her elbows. Any men can relate to this? I don't know if it's like just women have these, like, ninja elbows that like they're just it's like it doesn't look any different than my elbow but it's got this little pointed hard thing right here that when she gets me I mean it's just like my whole I just dropped to the floor like my whole body goes numb I don't know what it is but she's just got that elbow just uh, right there so so I know she would take me there's not even a, a doubt about that but you think about the idea of fighting in our marriage what are we talking about here well, we're talking about fighting the good fight of faith and that happens all the time. 
Not just when we're at church. Not just when we're witnessing. Not just when we're tempted to sin. The fight of the good fight of faith is a pursuit and a fight we endeavor every single day. So when you walk into your workplace, you're fighting for the faith. In your marriage, you're fighting for the faith. With your children, you're fighting for the faith. How you instruct them and guide them and equip them. They may not understand and they most likely won't like it. Hear me now. You're not called to do the things your children like you to do. You're called to raise your child and nurture your child or grandchild in the Lord that when they become of an age where they're going to step out into the real world, you're not just preparing them to have a successful life in the world's eyes. I've met so many parents and, and grandparents that just want their children to have a good job, good education, make a lot of money. That, that is a low bar, in my opinion. If your only desire for your children is to make a bunch of money and be happy, that's a low bar. No, 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 no. We as followers of Christ, our greatest pursuit with our children is that they will grow to be Christ followers. That they will pursue the things of Christ, whether they make a million dollars or don't make any money. Don't let the world, what does Romans 12, 1 and 2 say? Don't be conformed to the world. That involves how we raise and instruct our children in the things that are important to them. Now, you might be sitting thinking, well, yeah, but the but preacher, they need to make a living and they need to take care of themselves. I understand that. But if your child comes to you and says, I want to go live in a remote village in the middle of nowhere, making zero money, but impacting people for the cause of Christ for the next 40 years, and there's no financial security in that, you better be their biggest cheerleader. How would you, why would you discourage that? Well, it's not safe. The place you can be is in the will of God, doing the things that God has called you to do. There is no safer place on planet Earth. But we, we, we fight the good fight of faith, and we think about this in sin or temptation or different things. But man, that fight is every single day as followers of Christ. And it involves our marriage. Now that was the introduction. So we need to move pretty quick. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen, somebody. Okay. So let's see. Thank, see, Vic's on board. That's not a good example because Vic would, I could go to 2.30 and Vic would be like, keep going. Let's go. What are you doing? Stopping. So what are we talking about here? So I want to use this idea, this analogy that Paul gives us and apply it to our message this morning. So the first thing I want us to know is that we need to fight with gentleness. We fight with gentleness. Now I'm going to use the word gentleness, which is the translation of the word meekness. It's the same thing, but I think we understand the word gentleness a little bit better in our understanding. So what does it mean to fight with gentleness or meekness? Well, the first thing we need to know is that it is not weakness. Don't make that comparison. When we think of meekness, we tend to think of weakness or being timid. Now, while Paul is contrasting foolish fighting, uh, our flesh and our pride leading the way, that's verses 3 through 10, he's comparing that with the gentleness that is governed by the Spirit. He never intends for us to think, he is saying, believers are to be timid or fearful. So meekness is not, is not weakness, it's not timidity, it's not fearfulness. It's saying, no, no, there's, there's a different understanding here governed by the Spirit. I love the full definition of this word in the original Greek. So this word meekness or gentleness in the original Greek translates this way as a definition. It says it means to be temperate, displaying the right blend of force and reserve. Displaying the right blend of force and reserve or gentleness. 
It carries the idea of, and I love this, strength in gentleness. And avoids unnecessary harshness, yet without compromising or being too slow to use necessary force. So basically, this is why Paul says that these characteristics are what we use when we fight or contend for the faith. We are not fighting to gain a victory for self, but to fight against the lure of the flesh and display Christ-likeness in the world around us. It is not weakness. It is not being timid. It is saying it's a blend. It's a, it's a balance of strength and reserve. It's saying, yeah, there's force, but it's under the governing power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's strength, but it's reserved under the Spirit's leading. I'm not going to unnecessarily be harsh and rude and, and just come at it from that sense when I don't need to because it's force under constraint. It's, it's power under constraint. Of course, as we said last week with sacrifice, our greatest example is Christ. You see, Jesus is our example of gentleness. Jesus says of himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Man, what a challenge. Follower of Christ, you want to grow this week? You want to pursue Christ likeness this week? Learn of Christ. Read the conversations of Christ. Read the Gospels and begin to see how did Jesus interact with people? How did he speak to people? Because you're going to find sometimes he was very compassionate and sometimes he was very stern, very firm, harsh. And yet he says of himself, Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, says, learn of me for I am meek. That word is gentle and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. Jesus is obviously not weak. And definitely not timid. But he chose to respond to those around him with perfect strength in gentleness. We see a great example among many of this in John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11. He could have condemned her. By the way, what does he say? You without sin cast the first stone. Who was the only one who could have thrown a stone? Jesus. And yet he chose to show grace. So he was compassionate. He, I imagine he picked her up off the floor. I imagine Jesus being the Jesus we read about. I believe he kind of bent down and took her and, and stood her up. That's, that's the Jesus I, I picture in my mind. And he says to her, where are those that condemned you? And she says, they're gone. He says, well, I don't condemn you either. There's grace, but go and sin no more. There's truth. You see, Jesus wasn't weak or timid or, or overly mild where he got pushed around. No, no, no. But he wasn't arrogant and cocky and rude and selfish. He was that balance of strength in gentleness, grace in truth. You see, this gentleness that we fight with is not weakness, and it sets us apart. You see, as followers of Christ, we can model this balance in our homes and in our relationships. When we are walking with Christ, gentleness will be evident as a fruit of the Spirit in our lives as we walk with our spouse, our children, and our community. One commentary said it perfectly. It is never something humanly accomplished or simply biological. The gentleness we're talking about, that balance of strength and reserve. If you're feeling right now like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't even know how that feels. That's because it's not within you. It's not in your biology that you can produce this. It is purely a work of the Holy Spirit. And it comes from, first of all, knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior. But second of all, allowing the Spirit of God as we walk with him to produce that in us. To not get in the way of what the Spirit is doing, if you will. 
Jonathan Edwards, another amazing uh, pastor and, and revivalist preacher, said this. He wisely wrote of the believer's gentle spirit. All that are truly godly and real disciples of Christ have this spirit in them. And not only so, but they are of his or of this spirit. It is the spirit by which they are so possessed and governed that it is their true and proper character. This gentleness is just defining of who we are in Christ. That this walking in godliness and these other attributes of the fruit of the spirit, it's defining who we are. It sets us apart. So as a follower of Christ in your marriage, how is this gentleness, this strength in reserve, this balance of, of walking in truth and grace, how is it setting apart your marriage? How is it setting apart your relationship? How are other people seeing you handle those things and noting there's something different there? Take it outside the marriage. How does it contend with or play into when you're contending for the faith at work? When employees are seeing things, how are you walking in strength and reserve, in balance of that grace and truth? Is it setting you apart? Is there a visible difference? You see, in my opinion, I believe from Scripture as well, it actually takes more to walk in gentleness. So we fight in gentleness because I believe it takes more to walk in gentleness. It takes more strength and it takes more wisdom. So more strength. Why does it take more strength to walk in gentleness? Again, since gentleness or meekness is not weakness, to walk in meekness takes greater strength, which we will receive in and through Christ. However, we must make the choice to live out that strength in surrender. So many people think, like, I'm strong in myself. I'm strong in what I can do. But, man, as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and he begins to strengthen us, that gentleness will begin to flow through us, that strength and reserve, and we'll begin to handle things differently and see things differently, speak to things differently. But also, I believe it takes strength to stand on our convictions. It takes strength to not let the situations or circumstances of life pull us into responding. Christ is going to lead this conversation. Christ is going to govern this moment. I'm going to respond in meekness. I'm not trying to get my way. I want to pursue his way. I'm going to try to pursue what Christ would have in this moment and how he would have me to speak in this situation. I'm just going to humble myself under his mighty hand. It takes more strength. It's easier. It doesn't take strength to just respond in the flesh. It takes zero strength to just react to a situation. Now, this is where I want to pause. And I, I always try to be as transparent as I can be. Because I want you to know, I said this week one, I've said this anytime I've ever spoken about marriage, two couples individually in counseling or just in a general sense. I am not an expert on marriage. I am not. I am not, not an expert on relationships. I'm not an expert on anything, but I know Jesus and I know I can read his word and he will govern and lead and guide me through these things. So I'm not standing before you going, follow me. No, no, no. I'm saying, follow me as long as I follow Christ. But ultimately we're not looking to a human for understanding. We're admitting we need this resource of God's word and God's spirit to govern and lead us. But as I want to be transparent with you as much as I can, this strength has been lacking in my life a lot of times. I have not 
responded with this kind of meekness and gentleness as a husband or as a parent in many years of me being married. And I want to be transparent with you. I struggle in this area. This is one of those areas that I battle with. Because I am one that will just react and not prayerfully consider what should be said, how it could be said. And so I just want to be real with you. This is 100% an area that I'm continually saying, Lord, develop this in me. Grow this in me. Help me to walk in the spirit that I might not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but pursue Christ-likeness. So if you're sitting out there and you're saying, man, I don't have that kind of strength. I've not seen that kind of gentleness in my life. I'm struggling with this. We're right there with you. I'm there with you. But that doesn't mean we use it as an excuse to keep making the excuse to say I can never be that. Uh, it's a good to admit that we struggle in an area, but I meet so many people that go, yeah, I struggle in that. And then they never pursue the things that will help them to grow out of that. It's great to admit we struggle in an area, but if you keep committing the same things, you're not really growing, are you? We're not learning. We're not pursuing these things. Paul says, I forget those things that are before and I press forward. He doesn't mean he forgets them in the sense he doesn't learn from them. He forgets them. He doesn't let them hinder him or make him a victim to those things. So we can say, oh yeah, I struggle with that. But then the next thing we do better be down on our knees and in the word to say, Lord, help me to grow through this. Help me to avoid that way of thinking. Help me to be stronger than I was today. So again, this gentleness is not something that I've perfected. And by the way, we never will be perfect in these things. That's why we desperately pursue his grace. But we need to be growing and pursuing this gentle meekness in our life. One author said it clearly that we need to choose this strength. We need to pursue these things. Why? Why is it so important to choose gentleness and meekness, especially in our marriage? I love what this author said. When we treat one another with contempt or bitterness, we dishonor the image of God in our spouse and break down the trust level in our relationship. When I choose to not respond in a gentle and meek spirit, strength and reserve, speaking truth, but also showing grace, I'm actually dishonoring the image of God in my spouse. I'm dishonoring who they really are in Christ. I'm not valuing who they are. I'm, I'm bringing them down. I'm, I'm debasing them below what their real worth and value is. And that's on me. So what do we do? We admit when we see these things in our lives, we pursue grace. We say, Lord, I am sorry for that. We apologize to our spouse. We repent of that before our spouse. And we pursue to say, Lord, help me to treat my spouse with grace. And for the spouse, your prayers will be hindered. Those are Peter's words. So when I meet men who say to me, man, I just, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, and nothing's happening. I just don't believe the Lord's responding to my prayer life. Well, there's many things that could be playing into that. But one of the things I do ask them is, if you're married, are you showing your wife grace? Are you treating her as Christ would treat the church? Are you living in that relationship with her? Well, I mean, I, 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 I mean, uh, uh, uh. we'll start there. Repent of that. Pursue that. Seek strength in the Lord. So many men, I meet so many guys, and there's men in here that are so much stronger than me. I'm not going to name names because, you know, they're going to be like, eh, look at me, I'm awesome. Okay, we're not doing that, okay? Tim Strunk's already, you know, confident. He's confident enough. He doesn't need me to boost that up a little bit. But physical strength, like we see men, we're like, wow, that guy's strong. And that's awesome. And we joke about this. He knows I'm teasing him. but And he is a lot stronger than me, but... I still think I could take them though. I don't know. But 
Probably, probably not. Um, but we see that strength in men and we think, man, I want to be that. You know, they're really strong in that. That's great. But man, the strength we're talking about is that inner man strength, that deeper strength, that abiding in Christ's strength that says, you know what, when I come in this situation, there's a strength inside of me that is beyond me that helps me respond in this way. And this meekness is available to all of us by the work of the Holy Spirit. So when we fall short, when we know we have not lived this way, we need to know there is grace. There is grace. When we choose to let our tempers rise and our actions or words are forceful, but I spoke truth, brother. It was forceful. Yeah, but it was not held under the control of the Holy Spirit. There is grace. When we respond in weakness instead of meekness, there is grace. So it takes more strength to walk in gentleness. It also takes more wisdom. Consider a disagreement with your partner, your husband, or your, your wife. It's easy to let loose and allow our frustration, emotion, anger, or irritation to lead the way. Being mindful and gentle with one another in how we speak allows for helpful, productive, and fruitful communications. Proverbs 15.1 says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word does what? Stirs up anger. By choosing our words wisely, we can build up the trust, love, and grace that marriages rely on. So I just want to pause here. Are you finding yourself doing the things that takes more strength and more wisdom to walk in gentleness? Or are you taking the easy road? Will you and I react to the situations of life, including marriage, which takes much strength, much wisdom? Will we continue to react to those things, which show when we react, we aren't pursuing strength, we aren't pursuing wisdom? Or will we put in the work and in Christ do the harder but wiser thing, which is responding in gentleness? So again, in closing, maybe you're sitting there thinking like, I, I just... I don't know. I can't do that. Uh, you just don't know me. There's no way that I can live a life that reflects those characteristics, especially gentleness. Then I want to encourage you to remember that your ability to see these traits evidenced in your life is not dependent upon you. It's not solely dependent upon you. These are the fruit of the Spirit, which the fruit is produced by the Spirit of God in us. One last passage I want to share with you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul makes it clear that those that seek to walk in the Spirit, that they will see the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, not the fruit of the flesh. We merely walk with Christ, and His Spirit will produce fruit like gentleness in our life. Fully to our spouse. It's an attitude of the heart not a reaction to their behavior. The way we interact with others around us, the way we treat our spouse and our children and our coworkers and our family members is a reflection of our hearts, not a reaction to their behavior. And again, I just feel like I need to put this little kind of caveat on there that I understand people treat us poorly. I understand people sin against us. I understand people don't act like Christ to us. I understand there's people that do things to us that hurt us and cause us pain. And I'm not saying those things don't need to be dealt with and addressed. But let's remember that those things that happen to us do not dictate who we are in Christ. 
Because we are in Christ, forgiven and free, set apart, holy for his purpose. And that's reflective of how we communicate with our spouse, how we communicate with those around us, how we live. And so I want to ask you a question in closing, and we're going to pray. And I want to invite you, in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And I mentioned this last week, but I really want to encourage you. If you're here today, and you're married, maybe your spouse isn't with you, maybe they are. I want to invite you to come and pray when we go to invitation and say, Lord, I want to walk in my marriage where the goal, like like, like I'm driven by Christ-likeness. Not expectations of having all my needs met, but I'm already in Christ, they're in Christ, and we're asking that we would pursue Christ together, that that would be the example of what we follow. Maybe you're here and you're in a different situation of life. You're not married Maybe you're younger and you want to be married one day. You're thinking that might be something God would do. Let me just say, I don't know what God's will is for your life. I don't know that every single person is going to get married. I don't know that. I've had people ask me before, do you think I will? I have no idea what God will do in your life. But maybe you would want to come and pray and say, as someone who's not married yet, Lord, would you create in me the mindset and the attitude and the desires that as a young man or a young woman, I will pursue those things so that if it's your will and if you bring a spouse into my life one day, that I will already have you in number one spot. And that way, I'm not warring with this other person to try to get my needs met. I'm already satisfied and content in Christ. Maybe you'd come and pray and say, Lord, give me wisdom in that. Or whatever other situation you're in, wherever you find yourself in your relationships, maybe you would come and pray and say, Lord, give me wisdom that I would pursue you. And that here's the thing, we would fight the good fight of the faith not with the war or the weapons of the wars of the world, not with the flesh-driven pride and arrogance and I want to win, but we fight the good fight of the faith with gentleness so that Christ's victory, which he's already won, will be displayed through us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, and if you know my heart, you know I want to be a blessing today. But I, I am weak and feeble in my words. I cannot communicate everything that you have for us today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, as only you can, by the working of your Holy Spirit, draw us to application this morning. As individuals, as husband and wife, Lord, maybe there's things that need to be dealt with. And Father, I just pray that you would work in all of that because only you can. You work in the inner man. So draw those that need to be drawn to repentance. May they repent. Maybe there needs to be words of confession and forgiveness extended between husband and wife. Would you work in that, Lord? And again, Lord, help us to understand that we fight this good fight of the faith, not with the weapons of this world. We fight the good fight of the faith with the fruit, the arsenal, if you will, that you give us by the work of the Holy Spirit that we fight against the lure of temptation by reminding ourselves of what we already have in Christ. And in our marriages, we fight for Christ-likeness. We fight with gentleness. Strength in reserve. Governed by you. Speaking truth in grace. So Father, again, I know there's so many applications to this. And every situation, every couple is so, it's different, different parts of the journey. So I pray that you would apply it wherever it fits and help us to respond favorably as we pray together and thank you for marriage. It is a gift that you've given to us and it should be celebrated. It's a blessing. I pray that we would see it as such.
And again, Lord, would you be glorified. Draw to repentance those that don't know Christ. May they come to know you. In all of this, Lord, we exalt the name of Christ and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we have a time of invitation? Would you respond this morning? Would you come and pray? Husband and wife, mom and dad, whatever it is, individuals, would you come and pray and respond to what the Lord is doing as we worship him?